This is episode 32 of It's Pronounced Zine. I'm Dave Baker, and on this episode I talk to my good buddy, Jackson Stewart, director of Beyond the Gates and Sex Boss, and writer-producer of Cartridge Family. Uh, let's talk about some movies. Here comes Dave Baker with the show, talking about paper publications you should know. Authors and photographers that are fresh on the scene, don't be getting twisted. Twisted. It's pronounced Zine. How'd you do that? And you were like, because I'm tapped in. Well, no, it was. I can't. I think he did like. It might have been been like in the early days of the podcast where like Rob Zombie was a guest on it. I've listened to, to all three of the Rob Zombie Nerdist interviews. They're great. They are. I, he's like one of my absolute favorite people. For interviews. I agree. Highly entertaining. I even, I bought 31 on Blu-ray just to, like, listen to his commentary. Because <laughs> he's, he's, even though that movie's, like, not very good, he's, um, I actually haven't seen it. I mean, it's not as, like, dire as everyone said. It's just, it's sort of like a, I don't know, it's just, it's like a minor effort from him. Well, because I... Like, you can tell he's just like, yeah, fine. Like, I'll make this. Yeah. And it seems like he kind of... There's some really cool stuff toward the end of it. But, I don't know. It's like, he's just retreading a lot of familiar ground on it. Aren't they doing... Isn't he doing a new Devil's Rejects? Is that a thing? Mm. I keep hearing... They're going to do a third one! uh, I had a cool idea for a third one. Oh, yeah? Bust this. So it's called the Devil's Rejects. Right. They literally get rejected out of hell and come back <laughs> into the real world uh-huh. as supernatural entities. And then, you know, they're in like modern times. And, yeah. Uh, it's a slasher a with them doing bullshit. Yeah, like a supernatural slasher movie. I'd watch it. So it's called the Devil's Rejects, dude. Yeah. That's the third one. I'd, I'd watch they it. They get rejected from hell. I'd watch it. I'd watch it twice, even if Flavor Flav was in it. I don't think he will be. Well, then I don't want to see it. Why? Why do you like him? What I love do Flavor. Do I don't actually like Flavor Flav. I'm just saying. I just we should. We he... should. You should just cast Flavor Flav in everything. That's I all won't. I'm saying. You can't make me. I think you uh, aren't. How, how I think. You... I think oh. you're not looking uh, at the potential that is the media empire that you could spawn with a creative partnership with Flavor Flav. I'm. I'm... More of a Chuck D fan, I'm afraid. <laughs> you and me both, but also, <laughs> I don't know. Here's, here's my question. How many inflammatory statements can we make on this? Uh, you mean more and than in, my... More and than how my... quick of a, a period of time? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty seasoned at it at this point. <laughs> I wish... Um, I should have sent you the... Uh, there's like a Vincent Gallo thing from like back in like 2006 that he your twin your doppelganger uh, yeah that he, <laughs> he he was on this thing called Camp Freddy which there used to be like an independent like rock station in Los Angeles up until like 2008 or so but they had a show they would host on Saturday nights and they would bring like different famous people on and they would like co-host it with Donovan Leach I think the guy's name was. But Vincent Gallo goes on and co-hosts it, and he just says, like, such inflammatory stuff. I mean, like... Like bigoted stuff or, like, just controversial opinions? Kind of both. I Mm. mean, like, he says, um, 
like some girl calls in and starts like talking about someone's penis and he's like whose penis and then she's like oh tk's penis da, 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 da. and then he's like oh who are you kidding you'll take anyone's penis and he just <laughs> starts like immediately laying into this this lady who you know been talking for like 20 seconds it's really funny but mila jovovich calls in and she's in the middle of shooting the third resident evil movie and it is very funny because they have like a whole back and forth where she um She's like, you used to be nice, and now you're a total asshole. <laughs> it's very entertaining. It is the type of thing, like, if the right person got a hold of that on Twitter, like, millions of people would listen to it. And he would, like, I guarantee there would be, like, BuzzFeed articles all over the place about him where they're just like, Vincent Gallo is a Nazi. It would be... um so I, I haven't sent it out for that reason, but we, I think it is. Uh, we were just talking, one of the employees at Meltdown and I were talking about that earlier today, just in terms of how I'm slightly paranoid that something I've said at some point in time will be taken out of context and I will be kicked out of comics. Yeah. Mostly, be, mostly just because I had a podcast when I was 16. I'm oh, sh- totally. I'm sure I said dumb shit when I was 16. I'm sure. I, I, I think we're going to like, I feel like it's starting to kind of turn where people are like, Oh, wait, maybe we should, like, lay off the the witch hunt, you know? Because it's just, like, people just say dumb shit, and I don't... We're all, it's also, like, such a new thing at this point that, um... Like, we're the first generation where we have to, like, worry about, like, basically everything you do is recorded, yeah. you know? We're, we're essentially just, like, living in Big Brother land, uh, which we all willingly signed up for uh, <laughs> via social media, but... It's, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I've said some highly offensive stuff that's, you know, I'm like a live journal somewhere. <laughs> so <laughs> I hope it's still active. I'm going to go find your live journal. It's a, I actually, I tried to find it kind of recently, but I, I should do that. I'm like, I'm sort of afraid to find it because I'm like, oh man, I can't believe people read this. <laughs> but the kids in like 10 years... Dude, they're going to be so bummed out when they go through, like, their old Instagram feeds or whatever and just see that there were complete idiots. I feel it that way uh, now. Do you? Um, I don't really. I don't really feel uh, that way. Um, I I stand by most of my, my posts. I mean, most of my, post, most of my posts are like, hey, look at this drawing that I made. <laughs> yeah. Well, that like and, all like, your posts. yeah, that and habitual fuck Stanley stuff. I know. I thought you liked him. <laughs> Yes, said no one ever. Um, let's, uh, let's. Poor Stanley. He's so old. Stop, give, stop. Give We're break, not having dude. this conversation. We had this conversation last night. We're not having this conversation. All right, so. Just give him a break. Uh, stop. I <laughs> I would be one Dave Baker. Who are you, dear friend? Uh, Jackson Stewart. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, some movies that you've made. We're going to talk about how fucking hard it is to make movies. Okay. Uh, cuz uh, I'm sure I don't know. Did you did you end up listening to episodes the other day? Uh yeah, I I I checked out um it started with a P. I can't remember what the name of it. It was like the most recent episode. Protein, the yeah, protein yeah, yeah, episode. Yeah, protein. That was Um cool. so yeah, so as you surmised from that cursory review, it's a zine DIY comics people who make their own shit kind of thing. So you make your own shit mm-hmm. granted with a little bit more money than most of the people involved. <laughs> But All you right. do. Uh, so I was like, let's broaden. I want to, because I've, uh, I've interviewed a few animators, people in bands, and I want to have 
it just be a general do-it-yourself style show. Cool. Um, how did you get started making movies? Or when did you first think that that was something you wanted to do? You know, it, that was such a weird, uh, circuitous path to get there. Because basically, like, I started writing very regularly when I was 14, like, on pretty much a daily basis. And so I was a freshman in high school. Um, and so I'd always, like, wanted to do that. And, um, you know, it really wasn't until, like, my late 20s, though, where I directed anything because it just seemed like it was such like a weird nebulous thing to like wrap your head around where you're like how do you make a movie you're like it just was so i think at that time it, it, w- it was hard to kind of like figure out how you get those pieces and then put them together even though i'd like gone on film sets and that type of thing you're, you're just always there when the machine is up and running you're like but how do you get the pieces for that machine and then put them together so it is doing this and then ends up with this this thing where you can ultimately like show it to people um so i mean basically i wrote and produced this short called the cartridge family which i think you were involved in (laughs) i was yeah i worked on it Uh, i think i was was i in it you were in like we did like some kind of um I think we did some like kind of like crowdfunding app. Oh yeah, I was I was one of the characters and I I, I got the shit beat out of me. That's right, exactly. Yeah, the old classic. Yeah, Um, and my 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 brilliant improv line got cut because Will was like, "Nah, I don't like it." Because when I got kicked to the ground, I yelled, "Ah, my coccyx!" Which everyone loved except Will. Fuck you, Will. Not really. I love you, Will. But uh, I don't remember that one. I'd have to I'd have to go back and. And check that out. I hope you do. You comb through the footage. Like, you never yeah. said my coccyx. I know. Who? <laughs> I, I'm going to take your word for it. But basically, yeah. I did that. And then um, I wanted to kind of try my own hand at directing after that because I was pretty involved in the creative process of that. And basically, um, I met Brian Sowell, who was my DP, and then Josh Ethier, who's my editor. And he, you know, both of those guys are doing pretty cool stuff like um brian's working on the show the last man on earth right now and then um josh cut like the new texas chainsaw massacre movie which was really i didn't know that yeah it's kind of insane i'm i'm pretty proud of him but um yeah so basically it's it's so crazy though because i mean i met you guys what four years ago i think it was longer i think it was like i think it was like 2012 dude really i might have i think i met you and I mean, I've, I think I met you in 2011, and I think you worked on that because that was – I'm pretty sure that was 2012. I'm almost yeah, positive. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, it was just kind of like um, – it was just sort of like a long – it was just a very weird process. And basically, like, I went and did a short called Sex Boss with uh, Jesse Merlin and uh, Chase Williamson from John Dies at the End and um, – you know, Curtis Freisel and some other fun actors that I knew. And, you know, we, Graham. Yeah, Graham Skipper. That's mm-hmm. right. And, um, you know, it came out pretty, pretty good. I was very surprised because I remember just being like, it's my first short. This is going to be un- unbelievably bad. And then I watched it. I was like, eh, it wasn't terrible. And then, like, I went and did some other shorts that I thought were terrible. So it's, um, you know it's just an odd process it's like you really have to just 
be unafraid to try things and you know you kind of you learn from your mistakes typically it's like i don't think anyone just comes out of the gate and like bats a thousand and i think that's a weird that's like a weird preconception though about movie stuff where the 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 uh your eyebrow game is strong right now. The, uh, <laughs> I know this should be recorded on, on video. Um, no, but I think that's a weird preconception about movies is that like you always hear like the adage of, you know, directors are like tuning forks. You, they, you, you know, they hit at a certain point and they make the loudest noise and then they slowly over time dissipate. And I don't know if I disagree or disagree with that um, because I think there's a lot of evidence to support it. But at the same time, they need to get to the point where they're even in the shape of a tuning fork in order to be able to be struck. Does if if this metaphor makes any I, I, sense? You no, know, I, I I follow you. To me, it's it's always like a thing of if you're able to like write it and you have any kind of picture of what that's like in your head, you can and you know you have a personality built for it. You can direct your thing as long as like you know how to deal with people and you're not a super introverted weirdo where you can't you know interact with other people then forget it but you know most of it's just like trying to convey whatever's in your head in in as much detail as possible and then being willing to listen to ideas from other people where they're you know as long as everyone's on the same page like typically you know your costumer or your production designer or your dp or your editor um or whoever will probably have some of their own ideas and a lot of times they're really good and then you know you you would be foolish not to use the good ones sometimes they're not good but it's also like you you kind of have to just stay open to everyone's ideas and thoughts and that type of thing and um you're basically like the you know you're the person sifting through all the the stuff in order to find the gold in it and that's your job you know yeah uh, and I think there's also something to be said for what you had just hit on in terms of like it's not a democracy, but also I think a lot of people that don't make movies think that the idea of a director is like you do everything. Yeah, and I mean, like you kind of do in a, a weird way. Like, I mean, on you know Beyond the Gates, the feature I did, I like went and found all the locations for that and i found our main location by knocking on people's doors like if i didn't do that no one was going to do that yeah and it was like you know there, there's a lot of things that do fall on you at a certain budget level um which is you know totally fine and in kind of to be expected but there, there's a really good analogy someone had where it's basically like as the director you're the last man standing so you're really like I mean, more as a writer and director, you're the person who's there from, like, the inception of it until, you know, everyone's been paid out and the LLC gets closed, and that's the end of it, you know? It's it's not really over once you finish off all your deliverables. It's like you still have all these, like, weird business things to attend to, and um, typically, like, your producers or whoever will move on to another thing before that's over, and then, you know you can get tasked with that. I mean, it it totally depends on what the budget level is. If you're like, you know, Zack Snyder, he's never going to have to deal with that. <laughs> like, that's going to, you know, fall on... Um, His, a, a it's going to fall on some guy wearing an Ed Hardy shirt. <laughs> or a guy with a tribal tattoo on his face. Or, or, or 
I, I was going to say possibly his wife because I, I believe she's his producer. But. Yeah, but I just choose to believe that he surrounds himself <laughs> you with ex-employees of Ed Hardy. These stereotypes of poor Zack Snyder. What did he mm-hmm. ever do to you? He made all of these movies that look like they're only intended for people who like tribal tattoos. Man, you were you were you were, <laughs> What was that we were saying about about statements coming back to haunt you? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I don't need to. I don't need to work with Zack Snyder. Fuck that guy. Um, Fuck that guy so hard. Did you see Man of Steel? Oh yeah. I, I mean, Oof. I didn't. I didn't like that, but. Batman versus Superman ended up being one of my favorite movies of all time. You're insane, and I love you for it, but you're insane. But I'll say Suicide Squad was, without a doubt, the worst movie I saw last year. Yeah, it's and and I, I will go on record and say that when I watched that movie in the theaters, I was like, if I see a movie worse than this theatrically this year, I'm never seeing a first run theatrical movie ever again. <laughs> And thankfully that didn't happen, but I I was I was very very offended by that movie. Yeah, it's it's disgusting. That's um, uh, maybe a little bit too harsh. I actually I could stand uh, Suicide Squad more than Superman Batman, mostly just because You're, get out of it's here. a it's a worse it's a bad movie, but it doesn't it doesn't the characters by and large more or less are kind of the characters superman and batman the characters are just they just have nothing to do with the original characters yeah, I don't, that doesn't bother me they're yeah. they're already in in the books dude like they're not going anywhere yeah the problem is now i have to live with the fucking tribal tattoo army being like no man superman fucking kills people bro well, he does in the comics too. And he does yeah, not. he does. No, he, he does. He had. They've killed. tried. They've tried to have him kill people before, and then and it's always killed. been pulled back from continuity because it never sticks because it doesn't work because that's not who he is. He killed General Zod back in the eighties, which isn't in continuity anymore either. Doesn't matter. It still happens. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Is they <laughs> they try it. They're like, eh, no, this doesn't work. Mm, wow. He was also like, you know, two people. Com- comics history is. <laughs> is against you on this one. <laughs> no, but it's not, though, because it's it's exactly what I'm saying, is that they try these things in the comics over and over again. They try to break Superman as a character. They try to push him into, quote-unquote, new territory, and it never works, and it always gets pulled back. Maybe, but I don't know. It doesn't doesn't bother me. I think it can it can just exist and be there and be a, an idea that didn't didn't stick and that's fine you know you you're very you're it. a very centered person. <laughs> There's going to be plenty of other iterations of this stuff throughout the course of your life. You don't yeah you don't need to worry about uh, any of it. Indeed, but fuck that noise. Let's talk more about you. <laughs> okay, so you started writing. You were a writer's assistant mm-hmm. on uh, well first before CW's that CW's hit show Supernatural that will never be canceled yeah ever it's gonna keep going forever <laughs> didn't they just pick it up for seasons 12 and 13 or is it just 12 i think it's just 13 oh, okay I'm, I'm sure i i honestly i think they're gonna hit 20 now you think yeah i mean that shows it's like one one of their most popular shows on that channel now I and, it, it. and like the jared and jensen both have kids at this point so i think they're just gonna keep going until until one of those guys doesn't want to do it anymore they're gonna they're gonna keep the money train rolling. That's fucking so funny. <laughs> it's it's true, dude. I love it though. I I hope it goes twenty. I'm sure it, it could. I mean, it's like they're almost there. It's so crazy. I mean, they're at, they're at thirteen. Like they're they're much closer to twenty than they are, you know, season one. Yeah. At this point, so yeah. Uh, what was your experience working on the show like? 
Um, you know, I mean, there there was like good and bad. I think with a lot of, you know, as you know, with most jobs, there there were some people there I I absolutely adored working with, like Ben Edlund from you know The Tick was. I'm not familiar with The Tick. What is The Tick? <laughs> it's a popular uh, <laughs> New England comic book, circa the late 80s 90s late yeah. 80s early 90s yeah. um mm-hmm. but yeah ben edland was on there he's hilarious and an absolute genius and like i mean he he's one of the few true geniuses i've met out here um where you can you can just start talking to him about something and be like wow you just think about stuff so much differently than anyone else um he was great sarah gamble the showrunner was really cool um you know, there was a lot of fun, nice writers and stuff on there, but it's ultimately, it's like you're, I think depending on what show you are, there's some room for growth on those. And then in other places there's not. And my experience, experience with that show, even though I co-wrote one of the episodes was like, there's not a, there's not as much of a trajectory there to like move up in the ranks yeah totally Mm -hmm. so i mean you're you're just gonna kind of be doing your job there and then that's that's Mm -hmm. that which you know it's not terrible i mean there's certainly like much worse positions to be in but um you know i mean overall like there was some really cool episodes while i was on there but it's you know i think the big issue that show ran into is like it was designed to be a five season story arc and so when you have the apocalypse in season five and it's all about the end of the world and stuff and then you complete that, you're you're kind of just going over the same beats when you come back from that because you're you can't really like restart the apocalypse. And so it's always been sort of um it like builds up to that point and then I think and then they basically do a series finale at the end of uh, season five. I mean, like if you cut off the last shot of that, that would be the series finale. And to me, it just felt like they didn't need to keep going from that point, but they got reordered and, you know, yep. Then I'm, I'm sure paid them very well for it, but it's, uh, you know, it was just one of those things. I, um, I've mixed feelings on. It's cool getting a check every once in a while from that show. <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, basically, I just totally lucked into that that job. So, uh, and I got my first writing credit, and I get to be in the writers guild off of that, which was really cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, most I have mostly good things to say about it. Um, my the thing that blew my mind that what I, that I found out about you when we were first hanging out is that you were when you first moved to was it when you first moved to LA or just early in your tenure as a Los Angelino that you were Stuart Gordon's assistant um yeah you know that was like right before I started working as Supernatural which that was that was super cool because he was you know one of my heroes um, yeah he's one of mine too um and honestly like that job was pretty life-changing for me because like I, I ended up meeting Barbara Crampton through that who ended up being a producer on Beyond the Gates and you know she was in it and it's um like that was really cool and he's just been a huge you know mentor and kind of ally to me over the you know eight years or whatever that I've known him um but 
yeah, he's he's the real deal, and he, you know, he's one of like the most fearless people I've met. Where like I I went and saw, you know, reanimated the musical on a preview night, which it's also like it's crazy that you know he's a guy in his sixties and he's still like willing to like just do like a crazy theater show just because he like wants to and wants to you know be creative and do something weird, which I, I think is awesome, but. Um, you know, he went out like the first night of previews and he just was like, okay, so what was everyone's thoughts on it? Like, did, well, like, what did you like? What did you not like? And he was totally open to everyone's, uh, opinions from the crowd. And like, he didn't know most of those people. He was just like listening to this unfiltered stuff, which is super ballsy. Like most people I know, like, don't like would never do that and like, wouldn't be interested in, um, other people's opinions or like, you know, it, a lot of people just kind of try to avoid that. But, you know, he was able to just kind of like take all that stuff unfiltered, sort out the, you know, the helpful stuff from the, the not helpful stuff. And that was that was a pretty big lesson to me where it's like, OK, if you want to do this, you just have to be totally fearless and open to, you know, people's people's reactions if they're negative or positive or or whatever and you know take it for what it's worth and kind of figure it out for yourself but he was like never defensive about any of it which i always thought was really cool yeah i i have listened to multiple interviews with him and i it, it, he's just such a fucking crazy dude who's just like <laughs> i was gonna fucking do shit like that i hope i'm like half the dude that he is at fucking 60-whatever. Yeah, him and Don Coscarelli, I think, are, like, the two guys who still really have just this, like, insane creative juice. Where, you know, a lot of it... I mean, John Carpenter, too, I think, with his, like, music that he's done recently has sort of, like, reestablished this really cool second career for himself. But, um, you know, like, Stuart Gordon and Coscarelli are, like, the two guys of that era that I think are still doing really cool stuff and like some of the you know the best work of their career like i don't know if you've ever seen stuck the movie stewart did but it's mm-hmm. like it's awesome and it's like super relevant and mm-hmm. um you know it's 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 crazy where you're like god the guy who did this directed you know reanimator where the or even like, <laughs> or even john john dies at the end which came out whatever five years ago four yeah, years ago yeah i think it was 2012 i'm pretty yeah, sure like even john dies at the end where like i never would have thought that the guy who directed phantasm in 1974 or whenever the fuck phantasm came yeah. out 78 78 yeah. yeah never no, 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 79 sorry whatever <laughs> anyway um, yeah i never would have thought that those would be the same human yeah, it's just it's interesting too cuz it's like you can see a little bit of phantasm in there but it almost feels like it was made by like a really young person who loved phantasm and just mm-hmm. wanted to make this fucking insane movie. Like William Friedkin sort of did a similar thing with Killer Joe where you're like, "Whoa, he just made this like just super weird, like idiosyncratic, you know, kind of aggressive movie that's like so separate from the rest of their body of work." Um, I don't know. I, I give them a lot of, uh, I give those guys a lot of points for that. I agree. Uh, I think it's really hard, especially after you have established a track record to do things that are ballsy because there's the, how will this fit into my oeuvre? How yeah. will I, you know, be perceived? How will it be measured? Whatever. Especially for dudes like Gordon and Coscarelli who have these massive cult hits, you know, 
Oh yeah. How do you how do you measure up against the idea of Reanimator? Not the actual movie, but the thing that people remember. Yeah. I think that's really really difficult. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah, but I, I mean, it's also too. It's like I don't think they they look at that. You know, it's like I think they're just always yeah. kind of like on to the next one, and, which is the best way to be. Yeah, for um, sure. Let's talk a little bit about how you made the transition from the leap from shorts into features. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's uh, there's there's a, a very loud uh, block party going on. Yeah. Every every us. human in <laughs> Los Angeles is underneath us, and yeah. they're they're doing uh, pop and lock dancing. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, I mean, basically, like, that that jump from shorts to uh, features, you know, it, it came about over a few years, and basically, I got really close to making a feature on another movie, where we were, like, I think we were, like, a, a week away from shooting, and then the plug just got pulled on that, um, which was, like, one of the worst days of my life, but I remember at that point, I was just, like, it was just, like, everything just, like, fell apart so quickly, and I was super upsetting, and you're just, like, oh, my God, like, now I have to, like, go and, like, put all these people back together and, like, try to, you know, raise all this money and shit, and it just is, um, you know, and, like, you just look at it like the mountain that you have to scale versus, like, just taking it, you know, one one kind of incremental step at a time. It, it can be very overwhelming. But basically, I met um, – I was involved in another, like, anthology horror project, which I ultimately ended up walking away from. But um, I met Steve Scarlatta there, who was one of the producers of Jodorowsky's Dune. And he was going to direct a segment for that, and he also ended up backing out of it. But he, um, you know, we we started talking about uh, our different ideas and, like, just movies we loved. Like, we were both really into Italian rip-off films, like, you know, the um, <coughs> Enzo Costellari, you know, police <coughs> movies from the 70s that are, like, Dirty Harry rip-offs and, like... You know, the Jaws ripoffs and Bronx Warriors. Yeah, 1990 Bronx Warriors, another great Enzo Costellari film. But anyway, we, we got on like a whole trip about that. And he was like one of the only people I'd known who had seen those movies. And we started pitching ideas back and forth. And Steve, um, he was like, Well, I've always wanted to see, you know, I wanted to do a movie about a VCR board game that leads to another dimension that these, these two guys find in their you know, in their dad's video store. And as soon as I heard that, I was just like, oh my God, I have to make that. And it was like, the second I heard that, I was like, I'm like, that's, that's it. I, like, I, I don't, I, it's been very rare. I've like heard something where I just felt like electrified by it. But as soon as he told me that, I was like, that idea is perfect. I was like, we have to start writing on this now. Like, let's start today. And, and we did. And basically like over the course of the next 11 months I went and approached any like rich person I could find to get these like incremental amounts of money from them in order to like put them together for this movie you know and it was like basically I wasn't asking for a check for like 400 grand from anyone and they were all just you know these minor things where it'd be like 25 grand here or like 50 grand here you know and over over that it ended up over time, it ended up really adding adding up uh, to you know like a, a pretty decent budget for me. But um, 
can you say what that budget was, or does that make you uncomfortable? <laughs> I, I don't. I'll, I'll tell you in 10 years when we do a, a retrospective right. podcast. I, I kind of don't want to now because it's still um, it's still being sold in some foreign territories, and I try to like keep that that information um, uh, out of the <laughs> out of the the public. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, it was I'll, I'll super. Ex- it was really expensive. It cost 18 million dollars. <laughs> You need the minimum eighteen million dollars to recoup your, I'll, I'll your losses. I'll tell you this: it was more, it was more than Primer and less than Avatar. Copy that. <laughs> so eleven thousand dollars, <laughs> slightly more. But um, but yeah. So basically, it was, um, you know, it was just raising that money, and then suddenly, like we were, you know, the the main roles were kind of all written for the actors that that ended up doing it you know the john character was written for chase williamson gordon was written for graham skipper margo was for bria grant you know and i I basically liked all the all of them as people but i really liked their work kind of first and foremost and that was the big thing was so it's basically just like you really want to surround yourself with people that are better at their job than you. Mm-hmm. And I knew with them, I was, I would be in very good hands, you know? Yeah. And, and Jesse Merlin too, is also another person who like, I just, I love that guy. I, I do too. Both, I, both his work and <laughs> as a human, I think he's fucking <laughs> hilarious. Oh, me too. I, I want to put him in like absolutely everything I ever do. I think he's, I can't he's believe that he doesn't too. have like some weird sitcom. Like I feel I like he's well, like this weird thing in in pop culture, especially in horror circles, where he's done so much work. Yeah, and he's always the best thing in yeah. those. <laughs> you know, sometimes I I have a theory about this. I think he, as he gets older, I think he's going to start working a ton, and I think he's going to be one of these guys like, um, like Rick, Richard Jenkins or something, where it's like once he like turns fifty, then. The work is just gonna be like piled on him because he has, he has this like booming operatic voice, and he's some he's kind of a young look. He has to, he's like this weird any age guy. Yeah, where it's like he could be like thirty years old, but he could be like fifty five, and it's it's very hard to like wrap your your head around once you hear his voice because you're just like God, that's like the voice. I mean, he sound he almost sounds like James Earl Jones or something. It's very weird, but um. I, I think as he gets older, he's probably going to start working like crazy. I also think, too, if he'd been alive, like, circa Christopher Lee era, I think he never would have stopped working. Yeah. I think he would have been, like, Oliver Reed or one of, yeah, yeah. One of these guys. But um, Or even if he had been, like, the age he is now at the age in, like, the 70s. Oh, yeah, for sure. For like, sure. He would have, he would have, it would have been, like, Charles Nelson Reilly, Jesse Merlin, <laughs> and, uh, you know, fucking insert random other you know 70s celebrity 70s character actor yeah Yeah. absolutely but uh, you know so i mean basically it was like i got all my my kind of like i got my all-star baseball team together and then you know we we went out there and and made it you know and there's a lot of hiccups and stuff in in production because there's just that's just the name of the game. Yeah, I mean, there's just stuff where it's like it's just impossible to predict. Where you're like, okay, we're gonna like spend all this time and energy on like making this fake head that we have to explode, and they'll be totally dialed in. They'll look great. Everything is is perfect on that front. And then the guy who's supposed to blow it up that morning and who'd been hired a month prior 
decides he can't do it and then replaces himself with someone who has no idea what to do then. And then you're like, like, there's no way to account for that. Yeah. And you just kind of have to roll with those punches and like figure it out on, on set and, you know, just have some, you know, kind of uh, intuition about that stuff. Hmm. Did you, when you were starting this project, what was the level of chaos that you were willing to embrace and what was the level of control you were looking to exert? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah. I mean, it was basically like the, I mean, you're, you try to like minimize the chaos as much as possible in pre-production by just having it like planned out by, and that that happens by talking to your department heads and having like honest conversations with them about like hey this is exactly how much money we have we cannot go over this like how do we figure this out on this budget level and get it as close to this as possible and they you know they're most of the time those people all work way more than you because as soon as this movie's done they're on to their next thing and so um you know a lot of that is uh, a lot of that comes through in the the, po- the pre-production process where, like, you figure that stuff out, detail it as best you can, and, you know, make it known to your department heads. Um, as far as, like, the level of chaos that you're willing to – or that I was willing to embrace, I don't know. I mean, there, there was definitely, like, a point, like, in the second week of shooting where – like we went way over on time and I just felt like everyone was like turning on me and like they all started hating me. And I was just like, I'm like, can I just like go home and give up? (laughs) (laughs) And it was, um, it it was just such like a miserable night. Like we went so far over on like when we were supposed to be shooting and, you know, like just everything was going wrong and like everyone's getting like aggravated because it's like four o'clock in the morning and they can't eat you know, order any food and they're just super grumpy. And, um, and then a bunch of them have to be back in like six hours to set up for another thing. And so it, it's weird. It's like really in the second week of shooting, you know, people start getting kind of agitated at you as I think is, is the case with most work environments. They start being like, Oh wait, I, I don't like this person or like this person did this or whatever. And just, you know, typical bickering and that type of thing. Um, but I remember like being like, okay, I'm just going to come back tomorrow. And if it's better, then I'm going to finish it. And (laughs) basically like you, I kind of had to like mentally trick myself into doing it where it was just like every day I just had to take as its own thing and not look at like, you know, the end of the first day, I was just like, oh, my God, this is, like, so, like, I, I bit off so much that, that more than I, I was, I bit off a lot. And I was kind of, like, uh, afraid that it wasn't going to come through because basically it's, like, the first day, no matter what you're on, it's going to be absolute chaos. It's, like, I, I don't know anyone who's, like, gone into their first day of shooting on a feature and had it, like, work perfectly and everyone's just working in perfect synchronization it's just everyone is like fumbling around and there's all these like growing pains of these new people working together and trying to figure it out you know and um but then it was like the you know the next day went over way better and then it was like the day after that was was like great and so i mean it just ends up being like each day it's is its own battle and as long as you can remember that it's it's really helpful did you feel like the experience that you had 
doing shorts and stuff prepared you for that or was it really like you yeah i mean it it's they're similar in in different in some ways i mean it's basically like doing a short is like sprinting to the end of your block and doing a feature is like running a marathon so like you can do one and it, it sort of helps you but it's like when you have to keep this thing together for a long period of time it's kind of a different ball game because ultimately it's like you have to bring everyone into it in the pre-production process try not to like let anything in there get fucked up then get through the shooting and kind of like deal with everyone's personalities or egos or whatever and just keep everybody uh placated as best you can and then you know go into post and then everyone is going to have like a bunch of opinions because once you basically it's like you know i remember seeing the dailies for uh for beyond the gates and i was like holy shit like i think i just made the best movie of all time and then <laughs> i ended up seeing the and i was sitting in with my editor and we um you know we're watching the the rough cut and i was like oh my god i made the worst movie of all time and it was it Every director I've talked to has said the exact same thing, where it's like anytime you watch the dailies, you think you've made the best thing ever in in history, which is obviously never the case. But you're just like, holy shit, this is going to be so amazing. And then when you see the first cut of it, it's like an excruciating nightmare where it basically just feels like you're getting into, you know, a car accident for 90 minutes. (laughs) And but then, you know, you do another cut after that and you're like, oh, wait, you're like, wait, this is this is better. You're like, this isn't as bad as it was, you know, like a, a couple of weeks ago. And then, you know, you do another cut after that and you're like, wait, like I'm kind of starting to see the movie in there. And then, you know, you do another one and another one, you know, be open to feedback from from people. It's like. I mean, I remember, like, getting, like, the 12 harshest director friends I had to come over and watch the, I think it was, like, the first cut of it. And I just heard, like, every opinion imaginable on it. Where, like, everyone would just, you know, if if I tried to do all the notes from that, all of them would cancel each other out. Because, like, one person loved one thing, another person hated that thing, you know. And it was just all over the board. And, but ultimately, it's like there's some level of common ground you can kind of find with people's notes where it's like if you're hearing a specific complaint over and over, that's usually something that has to be addressed. And how you do that is up to you because people have their their own ideas on how you should approach that, and maybe they're right and maybe they're not. But um, with me, I ended up just kind of like assessing that stuff as best as I could and then kind of picking out the points where I'm like, okay, I think I know what's wrong here. Like we need this or this or da-da-da-da-da. And um, – it's interesting, though. I mean, it, like, I think in a perfect world, you could just approach these movies the way, like, John Carpenter did with his remake of The Thing, which is basically, like, you go make 30% of the movie, have that cut together, see what's missing there, and then basically go back and shoot for another month and get all this other stuff that you maybe didn't know you needed because you kind of don't really figure out what the movie is until you have a cut of it, which is totally crazy because you go from like you know writing it to shooting it and cast you know all the everything where it's like it's just so weird because like once there's a cut there it's like the movie is is usually going to be a little different from like what you sort of expected and then 
at that point you can, you know, assess it and, and make it better. But, um, but yeah, I hope that answered that. No, it did. It totally did. No, 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 it totally did. It totally did. Um, you, uh, I mean, I think it's fair to say that the movie's been a success. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, it's like done a lot better than what I was expecting. We like, I just assumed like it would be like a total wash with the, the critics. But I mean, like we got a, we have like an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is really cool. But you know, we got like a good review in the LA times, a good review in variety, a good review from the Hollywood reporter and, you know, a ton of other places. And we ended up on some best of lists, which was really cool. And went to a fuckload of festivals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It went to, it went to Sitges and Spain and Fright Fest in London and, um, a festival in Germany, a festival in Canada, the Bruce Campbell Horror Fest, which was pretty tight. Um, there's, yeah, there was a time. I mean, it's it was a really crazy ride, you know, that you, um, it's kind of hard to articulate, like, someday, Baker, when you do your feature <laughs> and go on the festival tour, you'll, you'll be like, oh, cool, like, this is, this is really crazy. Yeah, I kind of, that feels so far from me. Mostly just because I don't, and I don't mean that it literally is. I I know a lot of the same people you do, and I have mm-hmm. a lot of the resources and blah 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 blah. I think it more feels farther just because the comics thing is so immediate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that is like what I've been focusing on for the last couple years. Um, well, yeah, I mean, to me, it's like that you always kind of like need to focus on like whatever thing gives you the biggest boner you know like whatever thing when you like are like oh my god i have to work on that like that's the thing i'm i'm super psyched on and whether that's yeah. a comic book or a movie or a short or yeah. you know a, a tv show or a video game or whatever it's like that's the the kind of thing you 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 need to keep in in focus i think mm-hmm. yeah i would agree with that i think you can tell when people are doing something just to do it yeah, totally. You know, you you can. It's so weird too because you can just feel it. You can, yeah, it's in the texture of like, oh, you don't really care about insert random thing here. You're just here <laughs> because of what you think it will get you. Yeah, totally. And that's, um, yeah. I mean, it's like each thing just needs to be like, it's it's my job and whatever thing I take on to try to make that as best as I can. You know, and it's like whether it's like writing a crappy sci-fi channel movie or like doing a short or making a feature or writing an episode of something. It's I think it's fucking rad that you wrote a sci-fi original. <laughs> I think yeah, it's fucking it's... rad. Haters going to hate, man. I think it's fucking cool. I, well, th- I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, I, I don't have an opinion on it, I guess, but thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I, there's there's certainly worse things I, I could have written, I'm sure. But I mean, Denise um, Crosby is in it. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I'm I'm glad she like wrote something I or she she acted in something I sort of wrote, which uh, like there was another really weird thing where you're like, hey, I'm credited as a writer on this, and I don't recognize any of it. Yeah. So that's a. Uh, that was that was that was my uh, experience with the thing I worked on for Fox. It's like, oh, wait, what did you what did you work on for them? Uh, uh, it's the thing that we've talked about a couple times, but I'm not going to say it on here yet because it's not been announced yet. Is it? Does it involve? It is a franchise, terrestrial yes. life form. Okay, yes. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You got to tell me about that. I'm I'm very curious. It's it's a weird experience. Some very positive, some not so much. Mm, all right. All right. Um, but it was a, it was a good experience just to be in the room 
and see. Oh God, I'm so curious about and this. And witness the decision making tree as it happens in real time. Yeah, it's a uh, it's very weird. It's like you see how you're on certain like budget stuff. You're basically just like a cog in the wheel, or like kind of like, cog in the machine. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're almost like a janitor where you're just like, okay, here's all these like terrible ideas that I have to clean up or like somehow manage them, and I don't know. It's um, man, I, I really hope we don't get in trouble for this. This, this I'm probably gonna have Aristotle bleep out where you said. The certain descriptor, just because no, I don't think no one's gonna know what that is. Dude. No, I don't think no so. No one's gonna put that together. No, well, we'll see. It's fine. Aristotle, what do you think? He, he <laughs> shrug, shrug. It's fine. Right. Uh, but no, but it's but it's a uh, but it's um. I don't know. It's, it, for me, it's it's. I appreciate what you did because it's a singular vision, right? Mm-hmm. It feels like I know you. I wouldn't. I don't know if I would say I know you very well, but I know I you. Mean, you know me pretty well. Yeah, we've I know you. Been friends we've for been friends for like a while. Eight, not, not eight years, but I don't we've know. been friends for a long time. We yeah. used to be neighbors. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. We it's we've true. we've gone to the same Hollywood orgies. Uh, I believe we've been inside the same women and you're, you're boys. You're confusing me with Jesse Merlin. <laughs> oh really? Oh okay. It must have been. Oh. Um. So yeah, but I'm you know we know each other and and after I saw the movie I was like oh my that's that is the most Jack movie yeah. that I've well thank you that's like that's a huge compliment because that's like that's totally like the type of thing I want to be doing where it's you know the stuff I always like is like you whether you like the movie or not you can tell it came from a specific person I agree like, you know, Don Siegel is one of my favorite directors, but it's like you can go and watch one of his movies and it's like you can watch like Flaming Star with Elvis and then, you know, watch Escape from Alcatraz. Yeah. And you're like, I see the same guy in this, even though they're like as far removed from as possible on a story level, um, you know, and even like Rob Zombie, as weird as that is. And, you know, even though I, I, I don't like all of his movies, you can feel his stamp on each of those and i think that's i think that's really cool um and there's i feel like there's not that many of these guys though now that are kind of doing that where it's like you get as like um a real sense of authorship over um let me ask you this is that because there's no mid-budget movies being made right now um i mean that's i think that's part of it but it's um I mean, there are like that's kind of coming back because of like Amazon and some of these other that's platforms. True. Like, it, I think that's making its way back a little bit, but it, it, yeah, I mean, kind of. But it's like you know, I think in the set, you know, the seventies and eighties, and even into the nineties, it's like you could go watch a John Carpenter movie and be like, oh, that feels like him. That it. It sounds like one of his movies. It looks like one of his movies. Even if the DPs are different, it's like you get a real sense of style and his kind of like worldview is put on each of those movies. You know, whether it's like, you know, Escape from New York or Assault on Precinct 13 or even like Big Trouble in Little China. You know, it's like it's still in there and they're, you know, all pretty different movies. But, um, you know, there's just there was a lot of those guys I think that had, um, they just had like a very specific like point of view that is 
I don't know what it is now, but it's like I feel like there's there's some of those guys who still have that. Like I think, um, you know, Adam Wingard and like Simon, Simon Barrett. Barrett. I love like, those dudes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like you can watch, you know, you're next and the guest, and you're like, yeah, those like came from the same people, you know. Or, or um, I'm trying to think of some other examples of Gareth Evans. I would say, but, you know, another guy. Even even though I think he he just directed his first feature, who's like that is uh, David Bruckner, who um, he's basically like the guy who does the. Like whenever there's a horror anthology, he will un- undoubtedly have the best segment in it, and it's like it's sort of like his thing, you know, where you're just like, whoa, like that that segment's incredible. But um, he's a guy where it's like I feel like a real sense of authorship with him. In, in did his he stuff. was he one of the guys in the, in the Signal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did the first one in that, <laughs> and then he did this. Um, he did the "I Like You" girl segment in VHS. Yep. And then he did this segment in Southbound with uh, this, like, texting and driving thing, which is pretty fucking genius, I have to say. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, like, it's – I don't know what it is. It's just, like, there's – I've seen it a little bit more recently. Like, I think 2016 was just such a dire kind of year for for movies. And the past couple months I've seen stuff that's, like, totally blown me away where – oops, I just – drop this water bottle it's fine sorry she's being sorry, a diva yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i mean like the you know i saw i'm trying to think of i saw get out i saw logan which i know you didn't like but it's still like it's like that dude made the movie he wanted to and yeah. it feels like there's a very real authorship over that that is not like he didn't do what brian singer would have done totally with that movie yeah. and i i think that's really cool like you can tell like James Mangold, you're like that came from the direct. Like if you watch that in Copland, you'd be like, or in the Three Ten to Yuma or whatever. You're like, yeah, I see that. Like I see how this came from the same guy. Um, Get Out, I think, is like unbelievably good. Um, and I don't know. So I mean, it, like it seems like it's starting to come back. I think like 2017 might end up being a really good year for movies. Maybe I don't know, but. Um, it was just weird because I remember just seeing so many movies last year where it just didn't feel like – it's just like I didn't get a sense of like the person who made them and I think that's a problem because like I used to – it's like the main thing that draws me to movies is like wanting to see what a guy like Sam Raimi will do with Spider-Man or like totally. Dark Man or fucking – you know, like Dark Man. <laughs> Dark Man's the best, dude. Also, can we just discuss the fact that the title for the Dark Man sequel is the greatest title for any sequel ever? Is that um, – Die, Dark Man, Dark Man. No, no, no that's this the, the third, third one. one. It's the yeah, third one. The, Died. The, that's the best title. It's the best title ever. Yeah. Um, Dark Man 2 is Durant's Revenge. Return of Durant. Return of Durant, yeah. yeah. But um, – he wasn't really involved with that. Which no, I know. Was, I know he wasn't. But, and they didn't and the TV Bruce, show either. He wasn't involved in that either. And they didn't get Bruce Campbell to play him. Which is which the is biggest like, misstep in the history of film. I don't film. know what the fuck they were thinking with that. Because yeah. like, they have the perfect tee-up for that. You're like, oh, just... Like, the end shot is, oh, he's Darkman now. Like, just do, put him in all the sequels. Yep. Um, I did think it was tight as fuck that Jeff Fahey was in Darkman 3, but... Uh, I want to love Darkman 3, but I really it's don't. It's not good, but it's cool that Jeff Fahey's in it. That yeah. guy's the best. He's cool. 
That um, title that title is the best thing ever, though. <laughs> and Arnold Vosloo is really cool. I like him as an actor. But yeah, he's good. I mean, it, like, it just is. It's one of those things. Like, you feel kind of in the way like when you have like the this big chasm of quality between Jaws and Jaws two. You have that with Dark Man and Dark Man two and three, where you're like. That being said, Jaws three not, and four are both great. Um, I don't know if I'd say great. They're not. They're not. Like, they're not. I, I do really. Fine. You know, I, they're, I, they're I do cool, have a very, movies. very soft spot for Jaws: The Revenge. Um, yeah, that one's not. I actually think I kind of like that one more than the third one. I agree. Weirdly, <laughs> like everyone yeah. like hates the, the fourth one, but I was like, I, I didn't think it was that bad. I thought it was. I was like, this is kind of cool. I mean, it's like it's. It's a little dumb, but it's not. Uh, but uh, that's kind of what I like about it, though, is that it's dialed up. Yeah, it's like this. It's like a slasher movie. Yeah, <laughs> Jaws two is like we're gonna literally try and do the same thing again. Yeah, which is really strange. That's the stuff like in sequels I really loathe, where they just try to like re- like the Return stuff- of the Living Dead two. Yeah, exactly. I hate exactly. that movie. Me too. I hate that movie. Honestly, and I think that movie would have been like 15% better if they'd gotten Clue Gulliger back to play mm. like another character like that. Because mm-hmm. they have the two other guys and you're like, okay, like they were cool in the original, but it just, it, that movie's just, it's basically like, what if an untalented person tried to make Return of the Living Dead? And mm-hmm. you really see like how important it was to have like Dan O'Bannon yep. on that. Um, that being said, three is the best. Three, three is the rules. best. Dude, did I tell you I, I, um, I got to hang out with the writer and director of Return of the Living Dead 3. Older, older to Yuzna? Well, Yuzna and the, the guy who wrote it, his name's John Penny, but, um, that's so like, weird. We were, I was just talking with Mafud about Yuzna in the last podcast. Really? Yeah. We were talking about the society. Oh my god, I love society so much. Me too. It's like, but oh wait, one of the coolest things, like this is this is so not a humble brag. This is just like a straight brag. <laughs> was Brian Usna? Um, he he came and saw Beyond the Gates when it premiered at um, the LA Film Festival, and then uh, my friend Phil Blankenship went to go pick up his print of, um, I think it was Return of the Living Dead three or some. I can't remember what movie it was, but. He went over to Brian's house because um, they were going to screen at the Beverly or somewhere. And Brian was like, oh, uh, I just watched this this great movie called Beyond the Gates. And I w- he had no idea Phil knew me. And I was like, I'm like, dude, I would have like fucking shat myself if I was 17 and I was able to like tell myself that like, hey, the guy who produced Reanimator and made Society and, you know, Return of the Living Dead 3 and all these awesome movies like uh, – liked something that i did it was really crazy that's the one thing like when you make your movie and you have the people that admire that you admired like enjoy it that experience is like irreplaceable it's like honestly that was probably my favorite thing of of making it because it's um it's weird it's like once you make your your movie like you end up just going through like a whole spectrum of emotions with it where like you love it and you hate it and like you can't stand it and then you're kind of like it again and I, it's just it's a very hard thing to articulate but when you know the people that you grew up admiring it, respond to it it's like it's pretty incredible um and it's something i wouldn't trade for anything in the world yeah i experience that fairly regularly with the comic stuff because it's even I think it's it's a bigger it's a, to a large degree with the horror movie people because they're not ex- accessible in the same way, where 
I think it's probably more intense in that way. Does that make sense? Where well, like it, I'm at shows and like when we were in Seattle, Corey Lewis, who I am obsessed with Mm -hmm. like when i was 15 to 20 or whatever like all i wanted to do was live with Corey lewis and brandon graham and marley zaccone (laughs) and and james Stilco in in their house that they had in seattle like that's all i wanted to do was be a part of their clique of cartoonists oh yeah yeah. and nicole and i were just walking up and down the aisles aisles in in seattle before the show started and i hear hey dave over in the corner and I turn around and it's fucking Corey Lewis. That's pretty tight. It was amazing and he was like, I'm really into the new stuff that you're posting and blah 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 and we awesome. should hang out and it was this weird like I know that doesn't mean anything to anyone. Well no, but I mean the it, thing is though is it's like, it's basically I mean, I'm, you've seen American Graffiti, right? Yeah. It's like that's like your your like Wolfman totally. moment where yep. it's like, it's such a hard thing to articulate to other people but I think like they can see that and sense that with with you when you're able to tell them or like they're able to observe that because even if they don't have any kind of frame of reference for who they are it's like you could they can see that this person had like a big impact on you creatively or in your personal life or whatever it ends yeah. up being um and so getting getting any kind of like recognition from them i think is it's a, it's a pretty big deal dude i mean like i know people are you know like to be shitty and cynical about a lot of stuff like that but you know i mean for me like being able to you know have um like you know a guy like Brian Usner or Stuart Gordon or whoever like say that they genuinely liked my thing which by the way Stuart Gordon is like one of the most honest people I've ever met with like mm-hmm. when you give him something, he will tell you exactly what's wrong with it. And he, you know, ended up watching it and really dug it. And I was, I was like pretty blown away by that. Um, but I don't know. It's like that, that stuff is really cool. So I, I just encourage people to like make their own stuff and surround themselves with people that, that are good at their jobs and then grow with them. I mean, that, that goes to the point where I was saying it, f- it felt like such a, unadulterated you movie because it not only is it a movie that feels like only you could have made but it feels like a movie that is so specific in its references that they're almost not references does that make sense for sure like you're i mean we're both movie nerds but Mm -hmm. of all the people i know you're probably one of the top three that can out nerd me at movie stuff (laughs) which is like you know i mean i don't mean to be a weird humble brag thing again but like i know a lot of stuff and yeah, yeah, yeah. you are one of the few people who's like no actually uh golden eye wasn't written for fucking timothy it was written for timothy dalton yeah. it wasn't written for <laughs> pierce brosnan which shook me to my core i was I like know. no fuck you I no know, it wasn't dude. and it totally was and you were totally right i told you dude. you were totally you right i didn't believe you at all and but you were absolutely was, right that's why his personality is so why that's why he's like so much like harder and colder in that yeah it's like I mean, I, this is inarguable, and I don't care what anyone says. Timothy Dalton is the absolute best James Bond. <laughs> as far as, like, a translation from how he is in the book into movies, he is 100% dead on for, yeah. like, what that character is supposed to well, be. he doesn't have the scar, but yeah. No, but, I mean, it's like he looks just like him. Yeah. Total exact same personality. He's not, like, some quippy, like, British dude. You well, know, the, yeah, because the quippy stuff around. came from from uh, Roger Moore. Uh, well, no, it came from Rich. What's his face? Richard. What's his face? The writer. Uh, I'm spacing it. You, we both know his name, though. It's Richard. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, a lot of the now that I'm like getting old, this stuff gets a lot more fuzzy. But 
I know it was, I mean, it's not really there in, like, To Live and Let Die. It's, like, in, the, what, what did he do after that? Uh, well, the Bond Order? It's to uh, it's Live and Let Die, what? Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, right, right, right. And then, because his Live and Let Die is kind of, like, the same thing that you're talking about, about the GoldenEye paradigm, where it was obviously yeah, written it's, for. He's not doing his Roger Moore, like, oh, yes, the thing in it. But even, but all the Bond movies have quippy stuff in them. They're just delivered differently. Like, Roger Moore's Bond movies are like, but they all have like stick around style moments totally well i mean i think license to kill has the least of those yeah apart from like maybe like the daniel craig yeah i was gonna say maybe casino royale too there's like nothing in casino royale there's a few but very 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 few yeah i mean and that that is pretty close to how it is in the book Mm -hmm. like but whatever anyway we i don't want to turn this into a james bond podcast i mean we can i don't (laughs) i give no fucks uh do you going forward do you do you have like a credo for yourself like are you a a kevin smith guy where it's like i'm never gonna direct something i don't write or are you kind of open to it or are you do you You have a do you have a plan for yourself yeah, somewhat. I mean, it's like I try to just take each thing on its own. And, you know, I mean, obviously, it's like I want to, like, do bigger stuff over the course of my career. Like, I don't want to just, you know, stay in the indie genre world for my entire life. Like, I, you know, like to do some bigger stuff at a certain point. But, um, you know, I mean, I don't really want to... I'm not crazy about directing something I didn't write or at least like rewrite because it's just I I feel like I'm much more of a writer first than a director. And it's just very like that's like my main love is just writing, like putting words on a page, like figuring out story like that stuff's the best to me like that. I I don't think even though it's the hardest and like one of the most frustrating things I think you can do. It's to me, that's like the most rewarding. And I think um you know, going forward, I, I really would want to stay and, like, write and direct my own stuff or, like, write stuff for other people I think would be cool. Um, I I mean, I, if I found, like, a script that I thought was, you know, amazing, um, I would – and they offered it to me, like, and there, there was a good budget. I'm sure I would direct it, but um, – I don't know. I mean, it's like I'd, I'd much rather just, you know, try to do some original stuff or, you know, like try to put my stamp on something or – you, you know what I'm putting Spider-Man down. Spider-Man Homecoming 2. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure I... I, I don't I, uh, I don't know about these new Spider-Mans. Spider-Man Homecoming 3? Is that uh, what I'm hearing? I like I liked the OG Spider-Man. Spider-Man <laughs> Homecoming 3 Revenge of the Innocent? I'll, I'll stick with the uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Spider-Man I don't, I'll, I'll tell you this. 4? I'm going to make gonna make it now. I don't oh, think God. anyone's going to make a better Spider-Man movie than Sam Raimi. Fair enough. At any point in our lives. Okay. I guarantee it is all going to be diminishing returns from this point on. Word. So. I kind of don't have any dog in that fight. But you know I'm right. I don't know. I, the whole Marvel machine is so. That's what I mean. It's often. It's doing its own thing. Yeah. But I don't know. It's. it's well, who knows? Maybe. Maybe like uh, Danny McBride will direct a Spider-Man movie <laughs> and I'll be all wrong. Uh, Shane Carruth. I need. I'm. I'm going to need him to write and direct a Spider-Man movie. You know, it's really weird with him. Him and his wife, Amy Simons, they're both huge fans of Leslie Nielsen and Anchorman. Hmm. 
and they are as <laughs> their stuff that they make is as far removed from that as you could possibly get. Yeah. I didn't know that he was married to her. Oh, well, I think that, that I think that's I, public knowledge. Really? No. <laughs> uh, maybe not. I don't. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Huh. Well, I just know about the the woman that he was married to when he lived in Texas and has a daughter with. I didn't know that. God, well, I didn't even know about that. Yeah. Jeez, we're really getting into this guy's business. I, 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 he's like one of my favorite humans. I'm obsessed with him. He's really nice. I've, I've never I've met him. I've hung out with him before. I hate you. He's like a totally normal dude. Yeah, oddly so. Uh, he's, I, it, he's like, the stuff he makes is like not, um, very much not in line with like how he handles himself in, in like a, so a, an everyday interaction. So funny. Yeah. Uh, have you ever read the script for uh, 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 Topiary? No. I have it. I'll send it to you. All right. It's the best screenplay I've ever read. Yeah, he's he. I mean, he's a very smart guy, so I'm I'm not surprised to hear that. Um, yeah, I, I'm really curious to see what he does next. His, I, I his really new like movie has got color. like fucking. Uh, yeah, there's like everyone. Everybody, it's like Anne Hathaway, and everybody, everybody else. caught up to 15 years ago, and they were like, "Oh, Primer's the greatest thing ever. Let's give this guy some money." <laughs> yeah, and he made them for like six thousand dollars, dude. Yeah, it's just insane i mean yeah. like that that's on film no less six thousand yeah. dollars on film like i can't I, I don't know how the fuck he pulled that he off. sold his soul to the devil right maybe but uh, and what's even crazier is then after that when he went out with the topiary he had uh soderbergh and somebody else i don't remember who clooney maybe yeah who signed on as executive producers to try and get it made and everyone was like, no, this is too ballsy. Fuck you. We're not giving you any money. He, I think yeah. he wanted like $30 million, but he wanted to do it all with unknown actors. Oh, yeah. They're not, that's never going to fly. I mean, I want gotta, that. I want that movie so badly. I mean, unless like, you know, Anna Perna or someone like put up the money for that. But um, I don't know. I mean, a lot of that, that stuff is just, it's weird. It's like once you reach a certain level, it's like there's a business angle of it that you're never going to get rid of. Yeah. And that's, that's part, I mean, like, um, but wouldn't you say that's also part of the reason of why beyond the gates got made? Because you have connections with people like Graham and chase and Bria and, and you know, yeah. But I mean, like those were, those were roles that were written for them. And I mean, I think they, like they were the best people for that, those, those parts, but it was also too, it wasn't like a thing of, I, I was in a position where I could cast whoever I wanted for that. And, like, I wanted those people. Mm-hmm. And when – most of the time when you're using other people's money, that's not the case. It's like they're going to have some kind of say in how you're using their investments. So, right. I mean, if Warner Brothers is cutting you a check for $20 million to make your movie – and you're like, okay, I can have Brad Pitt or uh, this unknown dude from Arkansas. You better believe the only way they're making that movie is if you have Brad Pitt in it. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's, I don't think it's either a good or a bad thing because it, it's ultimately like if you have him in your movie, people are probably going to go see it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like, we'll we'll see what happens over the next few years. It's like, all, obviously, all the new media stuff has changed everything pretty dramatically. Um, so, you know, it, maybe that will come back where suddenly people, like, do want to, you know, give $20 million to a movie like Get Out where it's like there's essentially no 
you know, it's like Bradley Whitford and uh, like Allison. Uh, what is her name? And the guy from Atlanta who is a bit part. Uh, who is the? I can't remember the uh, Catherine Keener. Um, yeah, it's like they're probably like the two biggest names in that. Yeah, and, and they're like yeah, the, not the, really the, in the, the movie blockbuster powerhouse that is Bradley, <laughs> Bradley Whitford and Catherine Keener. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know. So I mean, like, we'll we'll see that that could certainly like set a trend, which would be awesome, you know. But yeah. I don't know. It, it's always just like it's such a it's such a miracle to get a movie made on any level. It's a lot of elements have to come together, and um, you know I think it's gotten a little easier in recent years, but it's still it's still very difficult. And like getting it out through all the noise and stuff now is kind of like even harder because there's just so much stuff that we're constantly yeah. being assaulted by on social media and everything. And um, but we'll see, dude. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> Wild stuff. <laughs> uh, where uh, the DVD's coming out soon, right? Yeah, it comes out on May second via Scream Factory. There's a DVD and a Blu-ray. Um, and you're doing a signing at Dark Delicacies. Yes, on May sixth. May sixth. Which uh, all, all the cast should be there. Um, uh, Chase Williamson, Graham Skipper, Bria Grant, Barbara Crampton, they're flying her in for that, which is really cool. Um, I'm going to try to get the girls from the retro Beyond the Gates board game commercial to come, like cool. Sam Robinson from The Love Witch and um, Alex Esso from Starry Eyes, because I just think that would be fun to have them. But, um, yeah, it's, like, loaded up with special features. We have, like, four commentaries which we went way overboard on but also uh, uh isn't your aren't your shorts on there too uh sex boss is on there the beyond the gates board game commercial which i'm, I'm very proud of is on there uh we have like a behind the scenes that was done by this um director named kyle kukta who's uh very talented in his own right um do we have any? Oh yeah, and then we have like the Q and A that was moderated by Stuart Gordon from the opening night, which is I was cool. there for that. Yeah, yes, yeah, we were. I remember yeah. that was a very that was a very hectic night, but it was fun. Yeah, uh, I was very proud of you. I was like, aw, <laughs> aw, thanks, old Jay Stu, old Jay Stu. Yeah, I did what I could. Uh, where where can people find you on the interwebs? Um, I'm on Twitter under the handle at boss jacko j a c k o. Um, I'm also on Instagram at that same handle. Uh, feel free to follow me there. I'm mostly, I, I don't really post anything of, of, uh, too much interest. It's usually just like general eighties pop culture stuff or, or nerdy shit that I, I think is cool. So also dick pics. You post. So well, no, you know, I posted my ultraviolet code for uh, Terminator two yesterday <laughs> on, on Instagram. So you caught that you could have yourself a free download of uh t2 (laughs) 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 word all right thanks my friend you're welcome yes now we're gonna shake hands comic at theactionhospital.com Find me on Instagram at xDaveBakerX, same on Twitter, and uh, come find me on the Facebooks, just Dave Baker. Uh, if you'd like to find the show, it's at MilkComics.com, uh, and it's obviously named 
It's pronounced zine. <laughs>